The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning, um, please speak to us clearly. Accomplish much um, for your fame and for our joy in you. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know what your, uh, what your hobbies are. I don't know what you're into. Uh, but my thing is I love movies. I'm really into movies. I love, I love a great story. And I don't know who your, one of your favorite actors is right now. I'll tell you one of my favorite actors right now, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That dude is awesome. I love, thank you very much. Got a couple of woos back there. I love Leonardo DiCaprio. He is a fantastic actor. And you know, the movie he's probably going to win the Academy Award for is called The Revenant. Anybody seen it yet? Anybody seen it? The Revenant? Anybody? Really? All right. Well, I know what everybody's doing this afternoon. Where are we going to see it? Who's going with me? All right. We're all going. It is a fantastic movie, and, and I'm not spoiling anything. This is, this is the, the little plot thing, synopsis thing for the trailer, so this, I'm not spoiling anything, but he's a frontiersman, gets mauled by a bear, left for dead, and then he goes after the people who left him for dead. Pretty simple, all right? Pretty simple story based on a true story, okay? And the thing that I like about the movie is that it's relatable. Now, hold up a second. I'm not a frontiersman, all right? In case you haven't noticed, I don't have very much hair on any place. It's not on the top of my head, all right? I don't qualify as a frontiersman. I've never been out somewhere in some crazy mountain. I've never been mauled by a bear. Mauled a couple bears in my time, no big deal, but never been mauled by a bear. Never been left for dead. Never sought revenge against somebody. Well, not to kill somebody yet, but I've never done that. But you know what? You know what I mean by relatable? I think he's such a good actor that, that his emotions were so real, I could relate to him. Like his fear was so real, I could relate to it. I was afraid, okay? Like I'm watching this thing, I'm watching him get mauled by a bear and I see like, I see his fear and like, and I'm starting thinking in my head, what would I do in that situation? Which is stupid, that's a stupid thought. What do you mean, what would I do? I'd die. At that moment, I would just say, Jesus, take the wheel, it's over. Like I'm done for. But, but I, I just, all of the emotions, when he was angry, I felt angry. Like he's that, I think he's that good of an actor and that's what a good actor does. And that's how how you relate to those good stories is the emotions they portray they're so real it's something you can hold on to and relate to and our passage we're looking at today in mark chapter 5 there's something in this that's so real that's so relatable to us that i think it'll make it a, a vivid story for us this morning and i think it's the same thing that that i related to in leonardo dicaprio's uh, role in the revenant it's it's fear and we're going to see that in Mark chapter 5, we're going to see some fear we can relate to. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't, there might be some under your chairs. You can use your smartphone to follow along, tablet, whatever. Or you can awkwardly look over your neighbor's shoulder uh, and just breathe in their ear. That's fine too. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. When came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. So Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's an important dude. 
Okay, so this guy, he is in charge of the worship that's going on at the synagogue. So he can actually, he can choose who participates and who doesn't. Like, it's a big deal. He is a, he's a big deal, okay? He's the type of guy that when he walks by, people go, hey, that's Jairus. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, uh, and, and may, maybe you know that. Maybe you're that important. Everywhere you go, people say, hey, it's that guy. So that's Jairus. He's an important dude. And so he's at a, he's at a really real place of fear, isn't he? This is real fear. What's going on? His daughter's to the point of death. And if you're a parent who's ever experienced a, a child who's ill and an illness, you have no control of nothing you can do about it. You know that fear. And hopefully you don't know Jairus's fear because Jairus's fear is that his daughter's going to die and there's nothing he can do about it. That's desperate. That's, that's real fear. And Jesus here is his only hope. And you can imagine Jesus is on this boat coming back across the Sea of Galilee. You can imagine Jairus. What's he doing? Probably pacing back and forth looking for that boat. And we've been there, haven't you? You've been so, you've either been so nervous or so upset about something or you're, you're waiting on something. You just can't wait. And what do you do? You pace. Because you have to do something. Because you'll go crazy if you don't. You can't just sit there. So that's what Jairus is doing. He's pacing back and forth, just waiting for Jesus to show up. And what does it say? Jesus steps on the shore, and what does he do? Somehow, he gets close. He gets close somehow. It says there's a crowd of people around Jesus. Wherever he is, he's mobbed by people. There's at one point where it says the crowd was so great around Jesus that, that they were crushing, right? They were crushing him. That's how, that's how crazy this crowd was. So Jesus gets on the shore. Somehow Jairus gets to him. And you go, well, well, how did he do that? Because his daughter's life's on the line. He's going to get there. You know, I thought about there was a time I was in a store with my son, Max, and he was holding my hand. And he got away from me. And the store was crowded. And I don't know how I did it, Nightcrawler style. I was just there next to him. When I realized he was gone, I was just there. I don't remember how I got through the crowd. I was just there. And I turn around, there's just carnage, bodies laying everywhere. It doesn't matter. I got there. Because that was my boy. And the same thing here with Jairus. Jesus is there. There's a crowd around him. It doesn't matter. He's afraid. His daughter's life is on the line. So he gets there, and what does he do? He falls at his feet. This dignified, respected man falls at the feet of this teacher, Jesus. And what does it say there in verse 23? Implored him earnestly. What does that make you think of? People talk like that. Implored him earnestly. Please, sir, please, sir, come to my house. I have great wines and cheeses. Like, come, please, come with me. It wasn't like that at all. What was it like? You have to come with me. You have to. It doesn't, no, no, no. No, look, I know everybody's got other stuff going on. You have to come with me. My daughter's gonna die. My little girl is gonna die. You've got to come right now. And so Jesus goes with him. But then something happens on the way there. Look at verse 24. And he went with them and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there's a woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. So Jesus is following this man. This crowd is just pressing in around him, even as he's walking, just pressing in around him. And there's this woman who's sick, said a discharge of blood for 12 years. Could you imagine how she feels? She's anemic. She's physically weak. Can you imagine how bad she feels? And it says she suffered much under physicians. 
Could you imagine the, the things she's been through, the treatments that the physicians have tried here in the first century? Our physicians, they, they don't always get it right. Isn't that true? I love doctors. Thank God for doctors. But they don't always get it right. And sometimes we can suffer even as they try to heal us. Ask George Washington. Remember how he ended that whole, hey, bloodletting, that's what we need to do. Well, maybe not, okay? So imagine what she's dealing with. For 12 years, she suffered under many physicians. And it says she spent all she had and was worse. 12 years of medical expenses draining her. Everything she has giving to these physicians. And how does she feel? Worse than ever. Worse than ever. This is, this is real fear. Watching your livelihood drain away. Watching your life drain out of your body for 12 years. You think she's afraid? Absolutely she's afraid. Can anyone relate to that? Can anyone relate to that? All of this thing you had control over, all of these things that, that, that made you healthy and wealthy, and, all, and they're just draining away. Fear, that's a natural response. So she decides to go into the crowd and to touch Jesus and get healed. However, there's a problem. Her discharge of blood, according to the law, made her unclean. And anyone she would touch would be unclean. She's taking a huge risk here. Because not only will she be touching everyone else and all the people in the crowd will now be ceremoniously unclean, but then she's going to touch the teacher. She's going to touch the great Jesus. She's unclean. How dare she do something like this? But what happens? Look at verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. She was healed. So Jesus perceived Power had gone out from him. When I was uh, a little kid, I, I, was, I was in church. Maybe you were as well. And there's a few things I remember from children's church. And every now and then I'll read a scripture and the Lord will just go, remember when you learned that when you were a kid? And this is, this is one of them. This is one of them. Can we do the little exercise I did when I was a little kid? Grab your neighbor's hand. Grab your neighbor's hand. I know, cold and flu season, whatever. All right, grab your neighbor's hand. Now squeeze their hand. And don't stop. Keep squeezing their hand. Don't hurt them, all right? Look at the section with the youth in the back. Ridiculous, all right? Just faces of pain. Just keep that pressure. Got it? Now release. So it says that Jesus perceived in himself some part of his humanity realized that power had left him. Just like you realize, just that sensation. Oh, something's happened here. Something's happened. Like you just felt in your hand. I don't know, some teacher taught me that when I was a little kid. I never forgot it. It always made an impact on me. Maybe you'll remember it. Maybe you'll do it to your kids. All right, so anyway, but just like that, just like you felt that impact, that, that something in your hand, that sensation, something just happened. So Jesus feels that. He feels that going out of this power, going out of him. He says, who touched me? His disciples are like, are you kidding me, Jesus? All right, you have said some crazy stuff. Look around you, dude. Who is not touching? Anybody in here not touching Jesus? Anybody? No, we're all touching you. What are you talking about? And he keeps looking around. Now, how would you feel if you're the woman? Uh-oh. Like, I feel better. Man, I feel better. Immediately the blood dried up. She feels better. Her blood pressure is up. She's no longer anemic. She's feeling good. But uh-oh, have you ever done, have you ever like done something and the teacher like figured it out and said, who did this? 
and you know you got to say it because one of your jerk friends is definitely going to turn you in the minute you leave the room. And you know that feeling, that, like that times a million. In her unclean state, she touched the teacher and he knows it. Uh-oh. So she has this fear. Look at verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She's scared. She touched this holy man while she was unclean. She stopped him from going somewhere really important. This, this, this dad is still there, pleading with him. Don't stop. Jesus, I'm touching you. Let's go, please. So she, maybe she feels this fear. I stopped him from doing something really important. So maybe she's afraid of judgment at that moment. Not just judgment. She's afraid of condemnation from Jesus at that moment. What will I do? When I tell him what I've done, what will he do to me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that fear? When I come to God and I'm honest with him, will I be received or will I be condemned? It's real fear here. But Jesus is bigger than all of that. And he's bigger than her uncleanness. Check out his response in verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. Not some magic, not some secret cloak I'm wearing. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus continues with Jairus. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So terrible news for Jairus. Couldn't be worse. And how do you think he's feeling? He's afraid. The worst has happened. He's afraid. Where do I go from here? What do I do now? What if we had been just a little bit quicker? What if that stupid woman hadn't stopped us? My daughter would still be here. How can I face my wife? How can I, how can I go on? Fear, real fear. But look, look at verse 36. This is crazy. Look at verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Amen. Remember these words of Jesus. Do not fear, only believe. My hope is that by the, the time we reach the end of this sermon, that these words will be life-giving to you if they aren't already. But remember his words. Do not fear, only believe. Look at verse 37. And he allowed no one, to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Jesus knew the child was dead. It wasn't that they were bad at identifying whether or not a heart had stopped or not. He knew that, that, that she was dead. However, he was foreshadowing about what he was about to do. And look at verse 40. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. They laughed at him and they didn't believe him. So what did he do? What did he do to him? He sent him out. Why? They didn't believe so they couldn't experience the power of God. And that's still true. They didn't believe so they couldn't experience the power of God. So he sent him away. Look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. 
Up until this point, people had seen Jesus' power over the physical. He had seen his power over disease and evil spirits and, and even nature. But no one had seen his power over death yet. And Jesus puts it on full display here, bringing this girl back from the dead. What an incredible narrative. What makes it so incredible? What, what do we connect here with? I think we can connect to their fear. It's real. It's relatable. Because we all have to deal with fear. Every one of us has to deal with fear. Our entire lives, we deal with fear. It's just part of being a human. You know, uh, this past Friday, Friday night, my, uh, I, I'd taken my oldest son to see Star Wars uh, the day it came out because I'm a good dad. Uh, but my, uh, my other son, Jude, had not seen it yet. But he loved it already. He hadn't seen it yet, but he loved it already. And he loved the, the bad guy, Kylo Ren, from the, from the new Star Wars. It's my favorite bad guy ever. He's awesome. But he loved Kylo Ren. And he loves him so much that his birthday's coming up in March. We said, what kind of birthday party do you want to have? And he said, I want a Kylo Ren birthday party. So that's what he wants. And I was like, I've never been more proud of you, son. And so we go into the movie theater. He is holding a pillow shaped like Kylo Ren's head. Like he's got a Kylo Ren pillow, he's bringing it with him. He is just ready, he is ready to see this movie. And then Kylo Ren comes on the screen. I couldn't get more excited. He's about to see Kylo Ren for the first time, like outside of video games, outside of just watching the trailer a thousand times. He's really gonna see it. And Kylo Ren, he's a scary dude. He's got like this crazy voice and, and he's really powerful and he's got this lightsaber that like hums and, and almost like hisses. It's like, he's just a terrifying dude. And he's just like ripping through people. He's like, a, he's a bad dude. So we're like watching the scene. There he is, there's Kylo Ren. And then after the scene is over, I'm like, oh yeah. And I look over at Jude. Jude has his back to the screen with his face buried in his Kylo Ren pillow. And I said, son, what is wrong? Didn't you like Kylo Ren? He said, no, 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 no. So Kylo Ren's really scary. And I was like, yeah, I mean, he is, but he's, and he goes, daddy, I do not like Kylo Ren. He is scary. And so he was afraid. And you know what? We all deal with fear. And when we're little kids, it's stuff like that. It's little stuff like that. But then as we get older, it's real fear, like real significant fear, not silly, but real fear, like this dad experience, like this woman experience. And you know, I want us to look at a, a few of the fears that they have here. And, and I think we're going to re- relate to them. I think we're going to see ourselves in the story. The first fear is the fear of man. So Jairus is making a fool out of himself to petition Jesus. A fool out of himself. He is throwing himself on the ground. Jesus just hopped out of a lake. Anyone been to a beach lately? Especially one by a lake? It's nasty. And he throws himself down in front of Jesus, making a fool out of himself. He's too refined for that, isn't he? And then even he trusts Jesus, right? He trusts Jesus, uh, but then there's this temptation to, to care about what other people think about it, isn't there? Wouldn't you feel that same temptation? The people in his house laughed at Jesus. They laughed at him. These are people that Jairus trusts. These are people that he has in his home. Don't you think he cares what they think about him? So don't you think for a moment he was tempted with that fear? to care about what they think? What about the woman? When was the last time she was accepted by a crowd of people? When was the last time she wasn't rejected? Don't you think there was a fear of hers that if I get too close to him, I'll have to get close to these other people and they'll reject me again. And I can't deal with that. I can't take it anymore. 
They were both tempted with the fear of man. And what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. They could have feared that if they did what they needed to get close to Jesus, they wouldn't get the approval, the comfort, the love, or the admiration from others that they might need to be happy. Remember, people in Jairus' household are making fun of Jesus. You don't think for a second he didn't think, what will they say about me? When I come home covered in mud, as I fell at the teacher's feet, as I'm standing next to this man that they are laughing at, what do you think they're going to think of me? You don't think for a second he felt a fear about that? Or what about her? You don't think for a second she felt a fear before she stepped inside of that crowd? Every crowd she'd been around, she had been ostracized from for 12 years. For 12 years. You don't think for a second she felt that way. And we relate to that fear. That's a fear we have. Haven't you feared not having the approval of somebody? Haven't you feared not having the comfort of somebody or not having the love of somebody or the admiration of somebody? Hasn't that bothered you at a really deep level? Haven't you had that fear? And what does that fear lead us to? It leads us to be people pleasers, not God pleasers. It's a serious fear. And then we see another fear, their fear of helplessness. Think about Jairus. Jairus was a powerful man, powerful. You cross Jairus, you don't get to go to worship. That's powerful, like a gatekeeper for God. That is powerful, right? Like, does our world have those? Yeah, like people think, like the Pope would be that for some people. Powerful, don't cross the Pope, right? Powerful. And that's what's going on with Jairus. If he had said jump, they wouldn't even ask how high. They just kept jumping until he said stop. He's a powerful dude. And yet, all of his power, all of his authority, all of his wealth, Everything he had, all of his influence was worthless. His daughter was still dying. You don't think he went, he used everything he could possibly use to make her well? You don't think he used his power? You don't think he used his influence? You don't think he called in every favor he could possibly call in? Of course he did. It's his little girl. But he's helpless, perfectly helpless. That's fear. What about this woman? This woman had no control. She had lost all of her money. She had, lost, she had lost all of her relationships. And now she had even lost control over her own body. You don't think that makes you fearful? Anybody in here ever gotten a bad diagnosis from a doctor? You know that fear. You're helpless over your own body. And we've all been there. A circumstance that we can't contain or we can't control. Something in our family, something in our life we didn't plan for, or even in our own bodies we didn't plan for. We've all been there. Our plans are out the window. We are helpless, and our lack of control leads us to what? Fear. Real fear. And then look at the third fear, fear of the future. I think this is only momentary in this story, but I believe we can see it in this passage. Picture Jairus approaching his home with Jesus and someone coming out and saying, your daughter is dead. That moment must have been a lifetime. That must have been an eternity for him as he stood there and his brain refused to process what he just heard. There's no way. And then as he thinks about, what do I do now? How do I go on from here? Like that's real fear, and we know that fear. I'm not saying that we know the fear of the, of the death of a loved one and the death of a child. I'm not saying that, but what I, do, what I do know is that we've all asked that question. We've been in that place where we've been afraid to ask the question of, what do I do now? What do I do now? I'm afraid about tomorrow. 
I'm afraid for the day after that. I'm afraid about the next month or the next year. This is real fear. And look at this other fear, the fear of condemnation. Jesus is calling out, who touched me? And this woman's response, what? She came in fear and trembling. She's afraid. She's afraid that Jesus, is he gonna curse me? Is some great teacher gonna put a a curse on me? It's one of his many disciples, all these people around him who love him. Are, are, Are they gonna enact some sort of revenge on me? After all, doesn't, don't I deserve that? Don't I deserve that for what I've done? I, I, I'm not perfect. I don't deserve his healing. And then here I am sneaking up behind him. I'm an unclean woman who touched him. Surely, I've heard stories of his kindness, fine. I've heard stories of his compassion, but, but I don't deserve any of that. She's fearful. You ever feel that way? I know God is kind. I know he's forgiving. But this time, I deserve condemnation, not forgiveness. This time, I can't approach him. Not this time, not anymore. That's real fear. But how do these two respond to fear? How do they respond to fear? They made a choice, and what did they choose? Faith. They chose faith. When they were tempted to fear men and to care more about what man said about them than what Jesus thought about them, they said, no, 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 I'm gonna trust you. I'm still trusting you. When they were tempted to fear because of their helplessness, They trusted Jesus. When he was tempted to fear for his future, what did he do? He followed Jesus right into that house. He trusted Jesus. When she was tempted to fear for condemnation, what did she do? She threw herself at the feet of Jesus and she trusted Jesus. They chose faith. And because they chose faith, they experienced the power of God. Because they chose faith, they experienced the power of God in their lives. Jairus' faith got Jesus to go into that house and to raise his daughter from the dead. You know how I know that? Because everyone who didn't believe, what did Jesus do? Get out of this house. Out. Out of here. You can't experience the power of God because you don't believe. Get out. But Jairus believed. What about this woman? There is a crowd of people banging up against Jesus, right? She's not the only one who touched them then why wasn't he turning around every two seconds going, who touched me? Who touched me again? Who just touched me again? I just felt my power. Why did his power leave and heal this woman? Why? Jesus tells us why. Her faith. People around them didn't believe. Maybe they came to see the sideshow. Maybe they came because he's their plan C or their plan D or whatever. But she believed. And she was, she was connected to the power of God in her life. Because you can't experience the power of God in your life without faith. Hebrews 11 shows us that. If you look at Hebrews 11, it is a hall of fame of, of people of the faith who have connected to the power of God. And what connects them to the power of God according to Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11, 6 says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In the face of fear, we can choose faith. And if we choose faith, we will be connected to the power of God in our lives. Doesn't matter how scary the situation. Doesn't matter how desperate. Does it get more desperate than a father falling at the face of this teacher's feet because his daughter is dying and there's nothing he can do about it? No. It doesn't matter how desperate. We can choose faith and if we do so, we will experience the power of God in our lives. And so their faith is worth emulating. I want the faith of Jairus. I want the faith of that woman who reached out and grabbed his robe. And so I want us to look at, look at two characteristics about their faith real quick. One, their faith was humble. 
what would a powerful man like Jairus normally do when he wanted to see a teacher or some great rabbi or something like that? What would he do? He sinned for them. You come to me. You come on my terms. What would a powerful man like Jairus normally do when, when he had a problem? I'll fix it. I'll send someone to fix it. This, this is fine. I'll take care of it. But when Jairus trusted Jesus, he put all his strength aside. He put all his pride aside. He put all of his position aside and his way of doing things. And he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he said, whatever you want. That's humble faith. He said, whatever you want. Whatever. However I've got to come to you, I'll come to you. You want me to throw myself in this mud in front of your feet? Then I am in this mud in front of your feet. Do you want me, do you want me to walk behind you in this house after someone just told me my daughter's dead? Then I'm walking behind you. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's humble faith. And that's Jairus' faith. That's Jairus' faith. That's true faith. We see it. That's, that's a faith we see in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Check this out. I think this, this describes Jairus' faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. Forget your strength. Don't have a backup plan when it comes to asking God for help. Don't make him be plan B or plan C. If Jairus had a plan B or a plan C, then after that message that my daughter is dead, where do you think he's headed? Jesus, get out of here. You were worthless. You didn't do what I wanted. Now I've got to take care of it myself. I'm going to go this way now. I'm going to go call this guy. I'm going to go do this thing. Jairus didn't lean on his way of doing things, his own way of understanding, his own power. He just said, God, Jesus, I'm going to do however you want to do it. I'm humbly trusting you, not me. And look at verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Nothing is off limits. Nothing. Nothing. Not, not when it comes to, God, I'm going to trust you and my family. I'm not so good with that whole thing. But when it comes to my career, there is no better blank than me. There is no better administrator than me. There's no better lawyer than me. There's no better statistician than me. There's no better teacher than me. And so I got this, you got that. That's not humble. That's not humble faith. And that's not Jairus' faith. The humble faith says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. God, your way is still better. Yeah, I think you've gifted me in this area. Yeah, I think you've given me success in this area. But without you, it's nothing. Your way's still better, always. And what's God's promise? And he'll make straight your paths. Their faith was humble, and this is the faith I want. I want a humble faith. I don't want, I don't want Jesus to be my plan B or my plan C, right? I don't want Jesus to be a supplement to my weaknesses. I want him to be my strength in everything. May I be weak so that his strength will be made perfect in me. Their faith was humble. And their faith was also informed. Look at verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus. This woman was not just waiting for teachers to walk through and go, oh, here comes that, that rabbi over there. Well, I'm just going to go touch him real quick, see if I get healed. And nope, sorry, made you unclean. All right. Like, she's not doing that. She's heard about Jesus. She's heard about the man with the withered hand that he healed. She's heard about the demoniac. She's heard about the paralyzed walking. She's heard about the diseases and the evil spirits gone. Her faith wasn't blind. It was informed. She said, I know who you are and I know the things you've done. 
from choosing to trust you because of that. And ours isn't either. You can have informed faith even in the face of these fears. I mean, the fear of man. The fear of man. You can have informed faith because you know how he feels about you. I don't have to worry about how you feel about me. I know how he feels about me. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might not think I'm valuable. He thought I was so valuable. He sent his son to die for me. Amen. I know. I don't have to be afraid of you. I don't have to fear not having your approval. I have his. I might not be valuable to you. That's okay. I'm valuable to him. You have informed faith. Or the, what about fear of helplessness or lack of control? You know, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I might be out of control. He's never out of control, ever, ever. So sure, my lack of control, yeah, it's real. Yeah, I can't change the situation. I can't. But he's not out of control. I have nothing to fear, nothing. And I see in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, listen to this. Even in my helplessness, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. The, the weaker I am, the stronger he's gonna show up. So not only do I not have to fear my helplessness, I can boast in it. Make me all the more weak so I can experience all the more of his strength. We have nothing to fear. Or the fear of future, the fear of the future. You know his mercy is new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me, but I do know that if the Lord gives me another day, his mercy will be there waiting for me. I don't know what tomorrow holds for me, but I know how I will make it. I'll make it because his mercy will be there. And how do I know that? Because the sun came up, didn't it? The sun came up. God's faithfulness never stops. Amen. And I know that he's always with me. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I know that my ultimate future is with him. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Today might be painful. Tomorrow might be painful. The next day might be painful, but listen to this. Every moment that passes is a moment closer to him. Every moment, every day that passes is one day closer to him. He's our ultimate future. I have nothing to fear. Fear of condemnation. We have that fear. You know, you hear the whispers. You're not good enough. Your sin deserves death and hell and separation and punishment. There aren't other Christians like you. How could you, how dare you call yourself a believer when you do things like this? You know better. You've heard those whispers. You know the truth, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God did what the law couldn't do by sending his son for us. There is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can always respond to fear with faith. And I want to close with this idea. We can always respond to fear with faith. And when we respond to fear with faith, that connects us to God's power, which begs the question, does that mean there's a miracle waiting for us? If I just believe, is there always a miracle waiting for me? Is there always a healing right around the corner? Is there always a deliverance just like I want waiting for me? I don't think so. I don't. But it does mean that God's power will be at work in your life. But God's power doesn't always manifest in the way that we see it. We see, you know what, if God's power is at work, then it's in a miracle as I understand miracles. How limiting is that? Who are you to tell God how his power works? We see an example of this in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul is talking about a thorn in his flesh and he's asking God to remove it. Do you think the apostle Paul believed that God could remove that thorn? Absolutely he could. And maybe it was physical. Maybe it would require a miracle to remove that thorn. Do you think that Paul believed that God could remove that thorn? Absolutely he did. Absolutely. And yet God didn't. Why? Does that mean that God's power wasn't at work? Just the opposite. Paul says, God didn't do the miracle I wanted because his power was at work in a better way for me. In a better way. Faith always connects us to God's power in our lives. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I've told you before about uh, the, my friends in college who were killed by the drunk driver. And I've told you before about my friend Beth who was, who was killed in that, that accident, about her parents testifying in court on behalf of the girl who took their daughter's life, testifying on her behalf, asking and begging the court for mercy. They trusted God. They believed God in the biggest moment of fear in their life. The worst has happened. And they trusted Jesus. And the power of God was at work in providing them supernatural mercy. The power of God was at work. I watched in 2014, I watched my, some of my childhood friends, one of my best friends, bury his six-month-old daughter. But even in the hardest moments of his life, I watched him trust Jesus. He still chose to trust Jesus, even when it hurt. And I saw the power of God connect to him. And I saw a supernatural peace in him that I have never seen before. The power of God was connected to him. There's a member of our church that I got to spend some time with this week. Her husband's here this morning. Maybe you've heard him amening. My, one of my favorite ameners here this morning. As I spent time with her this week, Miss Lynn, um, I held her hand as she asked God to take her. I held her hand as she said, I'm ready to be home. Have you been there before? I mean, like, I had all kinds of other things going on in my head that day. I had all kinds of worries and concerns and fears. And what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And here she is saying, I'm, like, I'm done. 25% of my heart works. I have neuropathy. I, I just, I, I, my body is failing. I'm hurting all the time. I'm ready to be home with him. I'm ready to be home. Miss Lynn trusts Jesus. 
And every second of every piece of pain she goes through, she trusts Jesus. And do you know what I saw? I didn't see someone sad. I didn't see someone depressed. And I didn't see someone uh, uh, who was giving up. I saw a lady laying in a bed because she can't sit up or she'll pass out. That's how weak her heart is. I saw a lady laying in bed connected to the power of God in a way that I don't think I am. Do you get that? She trusted Jesus. She's trusting Jesus with every moment that it hurts. She's trusting Jesus and God's connecting to her and giving her supernatural power so that she's sitting there with a joy that I haven't seen. Faith in the face of fear always connects us to the power of God. Always, always. So your fears may be loud and those whispers may be deafening, deafening to you in great moments of pain and confusion. But let me tell you this. Jesus hears those whispers. Jesus does. Just as he heard those people saying, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. It's over. He hears those fears saying to you the same thing. Give up. It's over. And he's saying to you the same thing he said to Jairus that day. Don't be afraid. Just believe Don't be afraid, just believe. Lord Jesus, we thank you that those words aren't empty. They're not polite colloquialisms that belong on bumper stickers. Keep your head up, just keep going, be the best you. Those are words that if we believe them and if we do what you say, Instead of choosing fear, we choose and embrace faith. We will be connected to the power of God. It's incredible. Incredible. There's all kinds of advice we might want to give or be given in moments of great fear. But there's nothing like what you said to us. Do not be afraid. Just believe. Lord, may we be people who choose to trust you in the face of fear and connect ourselves to the power of God and watch you do incredible things. Incredible things. Lord, as we respond in song this morning, there are some people in here who are afraid legitimate fear. Their livelihoods on the line. Health spiraling. A future that seems unsure. They are afraid. But God, may you remind all of us that your perfect love casts out all fear. We have nothing to fear with you. Nothing. Lord, help my brothers and sisters this morning 
to right now let go of that fear, to trust your promises, and in doing so, connect to your power for their lives. And Lord, there might be people in here who don't know you. They know about you, but they don't know you. If they're honest, they come to church, sure, but they're not following you. Their faith is absent. It's not real. Lord, today may they know that you're calling them to something real. You're calling them to turn from their sin. Say, I'm done doing it my way. I'm following Jesus. I want a fresh start. God, would you uh, draw them to yourself this morning? May they right now say that to you. May they right now where they're seating say that to you. I am sorry. Forgive me, Father. Save me. I'm following you. Give them that saving faith this morning. Lord, we love you. Help us respond well. It's in Jesus' name.